How many know what this is? Number sign or a pound sign or a tic-tac-toe board, right? Well, back in the day, for those young people here who are calling out hashtag to me, um, back in the day, this was a number sign. Right? You would put this in front of a number, such as if you went to a sporting event and you held up a sign that said, we're number one, or maybe a, a foam finger, we're number one, right? You'd put this in front of the one, uh, such as if you went to a Green Bay Packers game and said, we're number one, because we are. Anyway, um, uh, or, but you would never like put up a, a we're number eight sign. That wouldn't make any sense. Nobody wants to be number eight. Everybody wants to be number one. So number one, we're number one. Uh, it's a number sign, or it's a pound sign. Uh, when you're calling uh, to, let's say, your mortgage company, you're calling to pay a bill online, or calling to pay a bill over the phone, uh, and you uh, type in your, it says, enter your account number followed by the pound sign, right? Yeah, we're all familiar. And so you, the little recorded voice in there says, you know, you boop, 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 pound. And uh, then it tells you, you know, if you want to speak to a representative, tough luck. There's no such thing anymore. You're not, you're going to voice recognition software my foot. I'm sorry. I don't, yes, I want representative. Uh, do you want to make a payment? I said representative. Do you want to change your address? I want a representative for crying out loud. Just let me talk to somebody. <sighs> sorry. Sorry. Where are we? What are we doing? Sermon. That's right. Okay. All right. So um, just a little pet peeve. You know, I get a, I get a 30 minute platform every week and sometimes this stuff has to come off the chest. So um, anyway, uh, so it's either a number sign or a pound sign. Uh, like I said, my friend Jeff always calls this a tic-tac-toe board. He has, he's like, hashtag, what is that? But if you're into social media, such as Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or uh, one of those things, it's a hashtag. Now, if you're unfamiliar with a hashtag and what it means, it, it, it allows you to create a, a searchable link on a, on a uh, social media website. So let's say you go to Twitter and you get on Twitter and you, you put in uh, hashtag I love pizza. Okay? I did this. I, I, I typed, I searched for hashtag I love pizza and you know what came up? All these people in New York City uh, taking pictures of pizza they were about to eat. And, uh, and it's, it, they used the hashtag I love pizza. So I searched for I love pizza and everybody who wrote hashtag I love pizza put their picture of pizza and I got really hungry. Just sitting there looking at all these good-looking pizzas. It's like, man, goodness, that looks so good. I mean, it's not like Chicago-style pizza. Uh, we know there's nothing better than that, right? Amen. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, my New Jersey friend here saying, no, no, that's not real pizza. We're sorry, Kathy, it's real pizza. Um, or maybe you could put, you know, hashtag Notre Dame. Uh, sometimes I'll search for news about Notre Dame, and I'll, I'll go to Facebook, and I'll put hashtag Notre Dame, and uh, I can search and see what other people are posting about my favorite football team. So I can do hashtag Notre Dame and find out. And then there's, of course, you know, you could put in hashtag I do not understand hashtags, which would, you know, kind of make me a, a postmodern, hipster, ironic kind of guy. And, and uh, really, in all reality, I do understand hashtags. I'm just trying to be ironic. Um, so maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, hashtag, I don't understand hashtags. And like I said, then again, you understand hashtags. So either way, uh, it's become kind of a hashtag, uh, this pound sign, this number sign. 
And really, this kind of moved to the forefront of people using hashtags uh, really a lot over the summer, uh, this last summer, because, uh, because of things like uh, violence uh, and, and racism uh, in places like Missouri, uh, places like Baltimore, places like New York City. Uh, and, and because of a, an ep- epidemic of racism and violence, uh, we saw a lot of hashtags, such as hashtag uh, Black Lives Matter uh, in Missouri and in Baltimore, or hashtag Police lives matter after a policeman was shot in New York City. And so we see these hashtags showing up uh, about different lives that matter. And and I I think that when it comes to me, uh, I believe that there's a hashtag that God wants to use. That there's a a hashtag, uh, and, and it's that all lives matter. Hashtag all lives matter. And this is one that we saw in light of the racism, in, in light of the police shootings, uh, in light of uh, cops being killed and people being killed. Uh, people started to say, you know what? It's not just black lives matter. It's not just police lives matter, but all lives matter. Everyone matters. All lives are important. All lives are valuable. All lives matter. Now, I believe that God, this is kind of his hashtag, but uh, I, I want to add one little thing to it, uh, and that is hashtag all lives matter to me, God says. All lives matter to me. And so um, when, we, when we see this idea that, that all lives matter, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how all lives matter and how all lives matter to God. And because all lives matter to God, they should matter to us as God's people. So we're going to talk today a little bit about how all lives matter and and what this means for us as God's people, what this means for us as Christians. And we're going to uh, open God's word and we're going to talk about how all lives matter to God. Everyone is important. Everyone has value. Everyone is uniquely made in the image of God. Everyone is uniquely uh, created by God and they have value because Jesus died for everyone. And we're going to open God's word for about the next 10, 15 minutes. We're going to see about how, how all lives matter to God. And I believe that if God were to hang up a sign, it would say that. Hashtag all lives matter to me. If God were to use a sign, that's what it would say. And we're talking about signs for four weeks here on Sunday mornings. Last week, we started uh, looking at different signs that, that I've seen around me. Uh, the sign that I saw that I talked about last week was, are you who you were a year ago? And we talked about how uh, God wants to change our lives. He wants to transform us and make us more like his son, Jesus. And we talked about how God wants us to grow spiritually and to become more like Christ. He wants us to grow spiritually in our relationship with him. And so we talked about uh, the spiritual growth in our lives. And are you who you were a year ago? And then the better question is, who will you be a year from now? The Lord willing, you'll be sitting in that very seat. And that's how Christians operate. We have assigned seats on Sunday morning. So uh, please, please do me a favor. All right, if, some, if you walk in here on a Sunday morning sometime and somebody's sitting in your seat, don't give them the stink eye. All right? Don't look at them like, how, uh, you know, that's my seat, right? There's like a little golden plaque underneath it that's got my name on it. You know, and go, get out of my seat. No, we want to be very kind to people and nice because that's why Jesus died is to make us nice, Right? Right? Yeah, we want to be nice. Okay, <laughs> please, please be nice to our guests. Um, so we talked about who you, are you who you were a year ago. We talked about spiritual growth. And the question is, who will you be a year from now when you're sitting in that seat? Are you going to grow spiritually? Are you going to become more like Jesus? Are you going to grow in your faith? That's the question. 
Now, like I said, we're talking about different signs that we've seen, that I've seen. And, and one of these signs that I've seen is this hashtag All Lives Matter sign. And we're going to talk about that today. Just to let you know where we're going to go over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the church uh, and a, a sign that I've seen at different places. And it's a sign, it's a little yellow sign, and it says, A Safe Place. A Safe Place. And we're going to talk about how church should be a safe place. It should be a safe place for people to come and explore their faith. It should be a safe place for people to come and ask questions about who God is and, and His purpose for their lives. It should be a safe place where we can open up and be vulnerable and we can talk about our failures and our weaknesses and we don't have to come here and put on a mask and ask, act like we've got it all together. But rather, this is a safe place. And then we're going to talk about a one-way sign. How many of you have seen those one-way signs? Oh, yeah. And we're going to talk about how there's one way to get to heaven. And that is through Jesus Christ alone. And we're going to talk about that in two weeks. So that's where we're going over the next couple of weeks. Then we're going to talk about uh, leading up to Thanksgiving. We're going to talk about using our talents, our treasure, and our time in God's service. And then we're going to talk about Christmas. Guess what, folks? Bad news for you. Christmas is canceled. No, I'm kidding. Um, two months from today. Today is October 25th. It's, uh, two months. Two shopping months to buy your Christmas presents for Sean. But today we're talking about hashtag all lives matter. I want you to grab your Bible if you've got it and, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 839 if you're not very familiar with the New Testament and uh, you're trying to figure out where that is. Or you can grab your tablet or your phone and look it up on there on a Bible app that you may use. Highly recommend Bible Gateway, the Bible Gateway app. It's very good. Or the Version app. Either one is really good for finding Bible verses on your phone or tablet. So um, it's a good way to go. So 1 Timothy chapter 2. And, and before we read 1 Timothy 2, I want to look at 1 Timothy 1 verses 15 through 17. We're going to throw the first verse up here uh, on the uh, screen. Uh, it says, Here is a trustworthy saving, saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I love this passage because Paul calls himself the worst of sinners. He's writing to his young protege, Timothy, uh, and uh, he's teaching him how to be a pastor. And he says to Timothy, I am the worst of sinners. So hey, I've got some good news for you today. Okay, if you don't get anything else out of this, get this. You can never be worse than number two. So on those days when you feel like you are the worst sinner on the face of the earth, when you feel like you are just a, a, a total schlub when it comes to getting your faith right, you feel like you're a total schlub when it comes to, to doing the right things or not doing the wrong things, and, and you just feel like an utter failure because of your sinfulness, you will never be worse than number two. Because Paul calls himself the worst of sinners. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, I'm the worst of sinners. It's because he persecuted the church and killed Christians. And that's why he felt like he was the worst of sinners. So you'll never be worse than number two. So there's some good news today, right? No matter how bad you are, no matter how bad you get, you'll never be worse than number two. And I think it's a tie. I think we're all tied for number two, right? That's how I feel sometimes. I'm tied for number two. Uh, anyway, so that's, that's Paul talking to Timothy about how uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom he was the worst. 
And then he kind of expands on this. He expounds on it a little bit in chapter 2. I want to start in verse 1. And uh, this is where we're going to pick up. You should have it there in front of you. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. I love this passage because in verse 4 it says, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That God's deepest desire, that what God really, really wants is for everyone everywhere to be saved and to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. To, to be saved and to know the truth about Jesus Christ and to have a relationship with Him. This is God's greatest desire. His deepest heart's longing is for people to know Jesus. To be saved and to know Jesus. He says, I want, every, I want you to pray for everyone, including authorities and governments, so even if you disagree with Congress, you disagree with your president, you disagree with your uh, senator, you disagree, no matter what, if you disagree with the folks in Washington or the folks on the town council or the, the governor, you should pray for them, Paul says. We should pray for the rulers and authorities and the governing authorities that are in power. We should pray for them. Because when we do, we should pray that the church gets along with the state. Now the state says, We don't want anything to do with the church, but the church should say we want everything to do with the state. Not that we want to impose our will and impose ourselves on the state, but we should be praying for the state. We should be praying for our president and praying for our senators and our congressmen. We should be praying uh, for our governor and for our state representatives. We should be praying for our town representatives. We should be praying for them. We should be praying for everyone. I'll get to that in just a few minutes. And then, because God wants us to live lives of quietness, peacefulness, holiness, and godliness. And if we are constantly uh, bickering with other people and, and, and trying to overthrow the government, uh, we are not living lives of quietness and, and peacefulness. But rather, instead, we should be praying for our leaders. So that's a good thing to do. Because God wants all men to be saved. Now, in the Greek, that word for all men does not just mean men. It means everyone. It means women, men, children. It means everyone. God wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And to know the truth means to know Jesus. So God wants you and me and everyone to be saved and to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He wants us to have a relationship with Christ. This is God's deepest desire. This is His longing. And it should be our longing as well. All lives matter to God. He wants everyone to be saved. Everyone. He wants everyone to put their faith and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. He wants everyone to, uh, to believe in Christ, to repent of their sins, to confess their faith, to be baptized, and to live a faithful life to, G- of, of, to follow Jesus. This is God's greatest desire for everyone everywhere. God wants everyone to be saved. 
And, and this is repeated uh, in First Peter and uh, Second Peter chapter three verse nine. It says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He's talking about the return of Jesus and why Jesus hasn't returned yet. It says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants everyone to repent of their sins and come to faith in Christ for forgiveness. God wants everyone to be saved. Okay, a little mental exercise for just a minute. Think of the one person that you can't stand like the most, all right? I hope he's not on the stage right now. But think of that, that person that you just can't just, uh, that, that if, if you found out that they became a Christian, if you found out that they were going to heaven, that you'd be like, okay, 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 I can wrap my mind around this. Uh, they can go to heaven as long as they stay on their side of the cloud and I can stay on my side of the cloud and I don't have to be with them or see them for all eternity. That one person that drives you nuts, that one person, that co-worker who drives you crazy, or that spouse who's driving you nuts, or that ex-spouse who's driving you nuts, those kids who are driving you crazy, your parents who are driving you nuts, maybe those people that you just say, I don't want, I, I, ugh, I can't wrap my, God wants them to be saved. God wants them to go to heaven because all lives matter to God. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He, doesn't, he, he wants no one to perish. He wants no one to die in their sins. God wants everyone to, to go to heaven. And he made a way for that to happen. We're going to keep going here. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, uh, John wrote, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for everyone. He died for everybody, not just those who would believe in him, not just those who were chosen by him, not just the good people, not just Christians. Jesus died for the whole world, for the sins of everyone. Now, John is not preaching or teaching a universalism here that, well, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, so everybody just gets to go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. I believe that the love of God is unconditional. That God loves everyone unconditionally, but his forgiveness is conditional. His forgiveness is not unconditional. And we'll see that in just a minute. But we need to know that all lives matter to God, and therefore Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. An atoning sacrifice means that he took our punishment. He took our sins upon himself, and he suffered and died for us. And he uh, took our sins on himself, and he suffered the punishment that our sins deserve. He took our punishment for us. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And he died. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not just for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, how do I know this? Why, why is this true? Because I, I look at a passage like John one twenty nine. Uh, where Jesus is coming towards John the Baptist, his relative, and this is what John the Baptist says, is, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and what's fascinating about this passage is that in ancient Israel, they would heap the sins, uh, they would uh, uh, slaughter a lamb for the sins of Israel. And what John the Baptist is saying is that Jesus did not come just to die for the sins of Israel. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. That Jesus, when he dies on the cross, is able to take away everyone's sins. And, and he is the atoning sacrifice. He is the sacrificial lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. He was correctly identified. 
by John the Baptist. And then we get to John 3.16, a couple chapters later. And this is a verse everyone knows, a verse that everyone loves to quote. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But there's more. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I told you that I I believe that God's love is unconditional and his love for the whole world is unconditional. He loves everybody, everywhere, all the time. But his forgiveness is conditional. If you do not believe in Jesus, you do not put your faith and trust in Christ, you will not be saved. He says, those who do not believe in the name of his son already stand condemned. Now get this, Jesus said, it is not my job to condemn. John 3, 17. The son of God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to say that the world might be saved through him. Jesus does not condemn anyone. The woman caught in adultery, what happens? What does he say to her? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. Folks, this is so important, okay? This is where the church gets into trouble. It's when we start condemning people. We start shouting at the top of our lungs, y'all are going to hell. When we start condemning people, we are saying that we have the authority to do that. And Jesus didn't even claim the authority to do that. Jesus Jesus said, "I, I do not condemn you. The Son of Man, the Son of God did not come into the world to condemn the world. So where do we get off thinking that we can condemn the world? That's not our job. God is the judge. He is the one who determines who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. He is the one who determines. And the way he has set it up is if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you go to heaven. And that makes our job so important as Christians, as followers of Jesus. It is vitally important. That we understand this concept that God desires that no one should perish and that everyone would come to a knowledge of the truth and that everyone would be saved because all lives matter to God. And therefore, all lives should matter to us. We'll get into that in just a second. So I, I, I think it's clear from Scripture that all lives matter to God. I think it's clear from Scripture that God desires that no one should, be, should perish but that everyone should be saved. I think it's clear. So what does that mean we have to do? I think there's two things that we can do that that we need to be doing as followers of Jesus. Two things that he is calling us to do. Uh, The first is to pray for people who don't know Jesus. We need to pray for people. I heard a great sermon on this a couple of months ago. It's been in my back pocket. This story's been in my back pocket for a few months. I've been waiting to tell it to you. And uh, it just hasn't been the right time. It's time. So uh, I'm watching this, sometimes on Saturday nights, I'll watch a sermon, I'll watch the uh, service from Saddleback Church in California. Uh, It comes on at like 6 and 8 on the internet, and uh, I go and I I just watch it just to uh, kind of get energized and excited about Sunday morning and stuff like that. So uh, I'm watching this sermon by Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Christ, and and several other books on apologetics after that. But he he writes this this book about the case for grace, and and, uh, he's talking about this, this idea that we need to be praying for lost people. He says, if Jesus showed up at your house tonight, and some of you are going, please, Jesus, don't show up at my house tonight. My house is a wreck. I don't want you to see my house the way it is. But if Jesus were to show up at your house tonight and he were to knock on your door and you answer the door, and, and, and this is what Jesus says to you, if he said to you, I will answer every prayer you prayed last week in the affirmative, he asks this question. How many people would be in God's kingdom at that moment? 
If, if Jesus were to answer every prayer you prayed in the affirmative last week, how many new people would be in God's kingdom? How many people would be a part of God's family? Are you praying for lost people? Are you praying for people who don't know Jesus? Are you praying for your kids? Are you praying for your grandkids? Are you praying for your brothers and your sisters? Are you praying for your parents? Are you praying for your grandparents? Are you praying for your coworkers? Are you praying for your neighbors? Are you praying for people who don't know Jesus? Because if we're not, then we're not utilizing the power of the Holy Spirit to work on people's hearts. Because the Holy Spirit can work on people's hearts. And we need to pray for people who don't know Jesus who may be wandering from their faith. We need to pray for people who've never heard of Jesus. And then we need to invite them. That's the second thing we need to do. We need to invite people to church. Well, I don't know if I can invite people to church. It's very simple. Would you like to go to church with me next Sunday? (gasps) Revolutionary, I know. We've got to invite people to church. I, I read, there was a survey done by Lifeway Corporation, 15,000 adults. They asked 15,000 adults. So it's not like they walked down the street and asked 10 people. They asked 15,000 adults of what kind of influence would it be if somebody invited you to church. 67% of people said that they would be more likely to go to church if somebody just asked them. If if a friend or family member just asked them to go to church, 67% of people said they'd go. You had a two out of three chance. So if you were to invite three people to church in the next week, only one of them is going to look at you like you're some kind of freak. How great is that? Here's my question. How many of you, here, how many of you are here today because somebody invited you? It's quite a few. You're here because somebody invited you. You're hearing the gospel. You're hearing a message about how Jesus loves you, how God loves you, and how all lives matter to God because somebody invited you. Somebody brought you here. You said Yes. And there's a two in three chance that if you ask somebody else, they're going to say yes. So we need to be inviting people to church. This is where they're going to hear about God. This is where they're going to hear about, they're not going to hear about Jesus uh, during Dancing with the Stars. Well, maybe. There's a couple, you know, I I hear about it every week. I get the Dancing with the Stars recap on Tuesday mornings uh, from my lovely wife. Um, But they're not going to get it from watching TV shows on NBC or ABC or CBS or Fox or TBS or TNT or whatever cable package you got. They're not going to hear about Jesus there. They're not going to hear about Jesus on the radio unless they're listening to like 90.1. But if they're listening to 101.1, probably not going to hear about Jesus. Maybe rocking out in their cars, not knowing that God loves them. They're not going to hear about Jesus in the newspaper. They're not going to hear about Jesus on the internet. Or and if they do, most likely it's going to be some kind of weird, twisted version. They're going to hear about Jesus here. We got to get them here. We got to get them in, in here. Because we are committed as a church to our vision, to our mission of helping people follow Jesus. We're committed to that. And we want to see your friends and your family members and your coworkers and your neighbors, we want to see them follow Jesus. We want to see them go to heaven because they're following Jesus. And it's not about how many times they come to church. It's not, it's, uh, it only takes once. It only takes one message, it only takes one time to hear about the incredible love of God, to hear about a, a message of the gospel, about how God loves them and sent his son Jesus to die for them. So we've got to pray for people who don't know Jesus, and we've got to invite them to church. And we can do that. This is a great place. It's a wonderful church family. I hope that you feel that every week. 
I know you are because there's fewer and fewer seats every week. And that's awesome. God is doing an incredible, mighty work. And I want more people to be a part of that. We're going to make them a part of it. So, are you inviting people to church? Are you praying for people who don't know Jesus? Because those people matter to God. All lives matter to God. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. You matter to God. It doesn't matter what gender you are. You matter to God. It doesn't matter where you work or where you live. You matter to God. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, or how young you feel, or how old you feel. You matter to God. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter what sin problem you've got. You matter to God. And here's the kicker. This is what it all comes down to. If all lives matter to God, then all lives should matter to us. If all lives matter to God, then all lives should matter to us.